we learn a lot out of our history that helps us to create a better destiny. And so you can't always learn from people who get it right. You have to sometimes learn from people who got it wrong. I'm rolling now. What's going on, Stand of Course podcast listeners? You know, sometimes when you put your vision out there, it may seem crazy. Hey, I'm excited because I get to sit face to face with my guests, and now you guys get to see me. Beautiful. I know we have some incredible interviews and guests that you don't want to miss out on. Welcome back to another episode of the Stained of Course podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Johnson. This show or podcast is a podcast where we get to meet some of the most influential thought leaders around the globe and hear their stories. My hope is that you're inspired, uplifted, and motivated to fulfill your purpose and make a difference on this earth. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I told you guys that in a few weeks, actually, I don't have a date exactly yet, but I'm going to be launching my very own podcast course. It's going to be Podcasting 101 with Jimmy Johnson, where I walk you through a step-by-step process on how to launch your very own podcast. So many of you are entrepreneurs. Uh, Maybe you're a pastor at a church like Pastor Keon Henderson here with me today, and uh, you want to maybe leverage your business, leverage your nonprofit. This is the opportunity that you can do that get your face out there, get your business out there and share your expertise. So I want to equip you with the tools necessary to launch that podcast. So stay tuned to that. Um, You can subscribe to my um, email list by going to jimmyjohnsonjr.com and then I'll share more information in upcoming episodes. But today I'm excited to have on Pastor Keon Henderson. He's a big time pastor out of Houston, Texas at The Lighthouse uh, Church in Houston, Texas. Man, I'm excited to have you on the show. He's the author of the book, The Shift. And today I'm going to be talking to him about his book, about his journey, and uh, how he can encourage all of us along this journey we have here in Christ. So Pastor Keon, it's it's incredible to have you on the show. Man, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Man, I had a chance to, you know, uh, speed read through your book. And that was a fun adventure. It kind of <laughs> reminded me of like, you know, hey, I had all semester long in college to read uh, this particular book. And I wait until like the last, you know, two days before the deadline to actually make it happen. Yeah. But I'm excited, you know, that I was able to dig into the book and, and learn a little bit more, a little learn a little bit about you and your story. Um, so let's just start with your upbringing, because every person that I have on the podcast, if they haven't been on the show already, I try to get to know them first, and then we'll get into the book. What, but what I love about your book is the fact that it kind of tells your story. So as much as I'm going to get to know you, you'll get to know uh, Keon, Pastor Keon, excuse me, through the book he wrote himself, um, The Shift. So uh, one thing, you were born in uh, what? Gary, Indiana, correct? Born and it's- raised in Gary, Indiana. And so um, you were, uh, you know, you were raised by a single mother uh, with three kids. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, me and you sort of have a similar story, but not all the way the same story. You know, my mom, she's married now and um, she has, you know, two kids and um, she was a single mom growing up. And, um, you know, I know what that struggle is like. I've seen what it was like for her in the early stages before she got married. And um, it was just cool to see it through someone else's lens and uh, your story of growing up. So tell me a little bit about that. What was it like for you as, you know, a young African-American man, growing, young man, growing up in Gary, Indiana, watching your mom struggle to make ends meet, but at the same time trying to do her very best to take care of you and your two sisters? Yeah, I just felt like, you know, I didn't have any other brothers in the house. I was the only 
uh, male in the house. So, you know, you kind of feel like you have to take care of everybody, right? So yeah. you want to take care of your mom and you want to defend your sisters and uh, you want to make sure that you uh, put all of their boyfriends through filters and make <laughs> sure they pass the test and all of that. And so um, I, I had to grow up early, you know, and I always grew up thinking that I was going to have to take care of my mom one day because she really, how should I say it, Jimmy? She took care of us the best she could. She's working at Taco Bell, making $7 an hour. She doesn't have a lot to work with. Um, I remember days where we had to uh, literally eat what they didn't throw away at work. You know, so Taco Bell became a nightly cuisine, which is why when my daughter asks for Taco Bell right now, I say, what else do you want? <laughs> uh, that's the last result. So uh, wanting to take care of her, defending my sisters, that was my upbringing. And, and I don't despise it. I think it was it was um, a great experience. It has contributed to the tenacity that I that I house today. So, and I know you understand that. Absolutely. Humble beginnings only teaches you to yeah. appreciate when you do achieve. And obviously you've achieved, uh, achieved a number of success now, but I think you wouldn't be the man that you are today had you not experienced that firsthand, experienced the struggle, experienced seeing your mom going to work, work several jobs, you know, just to take care of you and your uh, two sisters. And um, I remember reading in your book, um, there was a Christmas, you know, where your mom, she was like, Hey, we, I have a question to ask you guys. We can have this really awesome Christmas or we can move from where we were to somewhere nicer in the community. And, uh, I believe you said something along the lines, like, absolutely. We want to move to this, you know, new location. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just goes to show you that you, you were all for your mom and, you know, helping her advance herself and really just trying to make sure that you guys, um, you know, continue to grow despite the, you know, disadvantages you had against you. Now, I know a part of your story and a big part of your story is just a lack of a father figure, right? You know, I happened to grow up with my dad uh, in my life while my mom and my dad were never married. They had each other, you know, uh, they had me straight out of, of high school. You know, my dad was a part of my life, but it was it's in some ways it felt like he was a part of my life because we it, revol it revolved around sports. And, you know, for a while mm -hmm. I had some daddy issues as well. And, you know, I've overcome that and I have an incredible stepfather, which I don't even call him my stepfather. I call him my father. And right now I'm in my mom's house across the street, in fact, is my dad's house. And my mom, my dad and my uh, stepdad all get along, which is, you know, wow. crazy. And, you know, the world we live in that that could even be possible, but it's an incredible testament of God's faithfulness in our lives. So for you, I know, it was much different. You, your father, um, happened to be the pastor of your church from what I read in your book. And, um, you know, one day you discovered that through a conversation that you had with your mom, but you could, she could not say that you were the pastor's son, uh, because of obviously how, how church can be. Sometimes there's politics and, you know, your mom says that, and that can take down the pastor from, you know, preaching and so forth. So what was that experience like and kind of walk people and give people insight of what you were experiencing as a young adolescent? So here I am, I'm um, 12 years old, just finished turning 11. Um, and so school is starting back and they opened up the year with a dad and donuts. And I grew up in the hood. I grew up uh, in an impoverished neighborhood. So the truth is there are not a lot of fathers around. But because I grew up in a sports area, Gary, Indiana, you know, right outside of Chicago, there were millions, millions of opportunities for surrogate fathers. Now, 
not always positive. Some were drug dealers. I have to be honest, Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, some were boosters who uh, made a living off of assisting those of us who had athletic abilities. Um, some had stepfathers like you. Uh, some had uncles. I had a cousin who was um, about four or five years older than me. And so he uh, was kind of the father figure for me. Uh, but dad and donuts, you know, uh, was that what that's what it was, dad and donuts. And I remember saying to my mom, you know, it was really, really un, un, unnerving to be there. And everybody had somebody there except for me. Yeah. And I said, I want to know who my father is. My mom set us all down in our living room uh, on Maryville Street. And she began to tell me that the pastor of the church was my father. Now, my older sister already knew. My father is actually my father and my younger sister's father. He was married when we were born. And uh, he was the pastor of the church. And he and my mother, like your mother and father, never married. So it's a crazy situation, right? And... It's a missionary Baptist church. So that that adds to it. I, I grew feel, up in one of those. So I, I, know, I yeah. understand. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel inadequate. I feel rejected. I feel lonely. My most memorable emotion, though, angry. Yeah. And I think that for the first 25 years of my life, I only had one emotional reaction to everything. And that was anger. If I was, if I didn't understand, I was angry. If I was confused, I was angry. If I was frustrated, I was angry. I only, I could only access this one emotion. So I spent a lot of years angry. This Mother's Day, I interviewed my mother and I got, I gave her an opportunity to speak on all of those stories. And my mom told me something that changed my life. She said, I didn't know why you were so angry. She said, but after reading your book, I finally met my son. It changed my life, man, wow. to know that I was able to articulate something on pages that not only would help the world, but also would give my mother an opportunity to see me differently. Yeah. And I can only imagine how frustrating it is to be a mother who she did everything that she could possibly do to raise you, right? She didn't do anything wrong. And, um, you know, she, she just wants to see her son in the wholeness that God created him to be in. And yet there was a missing piece that she couldn't, no matter how hard she tried, couldn't provide yeah. you with the need that you, you wanted that, that need of being wanted and loved by a father who never, ever gave you that, that, in return. And so, um, you know, I can only imagine that was, there were years of healing that had to take place for you to come to the realization that that one, obviously you knew that's what you were looking for at the age of 11 or 12, but then, you know, right now you're probably in your thirties or I don't know. I don't want to, yeah, I'm 30, I'm 38, 38. You know, <laughs> I don't want to push you over the 40 yeah. edge if you're not, but you're yeah. in your thirties right now. And, you know, I'm sure you said 25 or, or something like that. So, you know, that right there alone was probably, you know, a long journey in itself. So how did you come to getting towards uh, healing and, and, and really, uh, you know, just getting past the fact that, you know, this happened and, you know, this is what the reality was, but now you want to move past it? Yeah, because I think a lot of people always want to move past the issues without confronting them. Mm. And that's called, that's called forgetting your issues, which never happens. Right. Those issues, they sit in the seat of your subconscious mind. I had to confront the issue. I'm going to tell you um, that the day that I confronted the issue, I wouldn't recommend anybody try this, 
uh, <laughs> but it was my way of trying it. I called my father on the phone and I raised all kind of holy sand. I told him I was upset. I told him I was frustrated. And I remember he told me, he said, um, he said, now you're getting beside yourself because I'm still your father. And I don't care what you understand and how you view it and all that. You can't talk to me like this. And I told him, I said, well, then bring it on. I was living in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He was living in Gary, Indiana. <laughs> and I threatened him. And I told him, I said, um, well, then drive down here and we'll see who's the better man. And I told him, if you come down here, you're going to walk over, but you're going to limp back. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend that. But, Jim, here's what I was trying to do. I wanted him in my life so bad that I would have taken a, a confrontation over his absence. Wow. I, I would have rather he drove down there, took a belt, hit me across the back, grabbed me by my shoulders and shook me because at that moment I would have said, at least he cared. I wanted his attention so bad that I was willing to accept it in a volatile way, which is why I have an affinity and I am very prayerful and understanding mm -hmm. of people who accept violence and abuse because sometimes you can actually desire the abuse from a person that you have so much admiration for because at least that rage in the demented mind shows that they care. So I started off doing it that way. The second way I did it, I started to pour myself into people who were me, mm. start to help young people to overcome their gaping holes and inadequacies and issues, whether it be counseling or coaching or uh, uh, spiritual fathering, whatever. I started to, to use my methods uh, and to acquiesce them to show other people how to get over their hurdles um, because I recognized that my earlier approaches were unhealthy. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, you know, I, I poured myself into other people and now I find so much, so much, so much satisfaction from seeing other people reach their destiny. I always tell people that my goal in life is to help you reach yours. So good. So good. And I know when reading the book, um, while you said that you really had it after your father, just to even get his attention at that point, there was a time of uh, reconciliation. There was a time where um, you basically wrote in a book saying that you, you just, despite what your father did, you had to honor him. And it takes a humility to come to that understanding. And I, I know that feeling of it's just like, honor him. You don't even deserve honor but yet I have to honor him. You're not honoring him for him. You're honoring him because that's what God has called us to do. So like when, when you came to that realization that I, despite all that your father, you know, the lack of fathering, because I'll just give, you know, an example of my own. My dad never had a dad who fathered him well. Right. So for me as a kid, looking back and seeing some of the shortcomings of my father, I had to come to the realization that he didn't have a solid example of what it was like to be a father. So it wasn't an excuse for him not being a good father, but it also um, allowed me to realize, okay, so he didn't have a father. Therefore, he didn't have an example of what a father looks like. So here he is on the job training, trying to figure out what it means to father who's fatherless. And that's just a lot of layers on top of layers. And, you know, a lot of black men like me and you experience this. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day where, well, I know that day is changing because I'm seeing it changing because the father that my dad was when I was a kid, 
he's a way better father now. I have three younger brothers who are younger than me, two of them that are across the street right now. And he is an incredible father to them. And he always apologizes to me. He's like, Jim, and he always honors my stepfather because he knows how much of a role he played in my life. And he's like, Jim, man, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't the father that I should have been for you. But I always tell him this, but you're a better father now than you were. You're better. You're doing much better than you were when I was a kid. And I, I it only it, it helps to know that he's growing. And I love the fact that he grew as a man. And, and that's all we want from my father. And so I would love for you to speak into that moment where you said, I have to honor my father, one, into the rec- reconciliation of you and your father's relationship. You know, listening to, to you talk, it's almost as if I am listening to myself. I'm, I'm in total amazement. I'm almost irrelevant in the interview because no, 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 you're not. You sound like me. <laughs> you sound like you sound like me. And and I'm wondering who is your mother? Who is your mother? Who taught you that? Because I didn't come to the realization of that reconciliation on my own of honoring him. My mom told me. Mm-hmm. The Bible says you have to honor him all the days of your life. That your days may be long. And it didn't say that you could honor him if he was right. It just said honor him. She drilled that in me. I never heard my mom say one negative word about my father Same in here. the absence of child support, in the absence of, I played division one college basketball. I almost played professional until I injured myself. I was a starter in high school. My father has never seen me play basketball. Um, I, I did everything. He, he wasn't there when I graduated from high school. He, he never bought me a pair of shoes, but my mother taught me to honor him. Now that's that's the first thing. The second thing that I think is very very important, and you 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 alluded to the fact of of all of the surrogates that God had given you to assist in your upbringing. You know, I arrive at that conclusion through my mother's tutelage, but I continue that through the tutelage of outside people. Give an example: when I met Bishop T.D. Jakes for the first time, and he and I became spiritual father and son, he told me something that changed my life, and you alluded to it. He said, have you ever heard the story of Mephibosheth in the Bible? I said, yes. He said, that was Jonathan's son. And when he was five years old, the Bible says that there was an announcement in the battle that his grandfather Saul and his father Jonathan had been killed. And when the nurse heard the news, she dropped him and broke his legs. And from that day forward, he could no longer walk. And he spent the rest of his life. And he said to me something that changed my life. And I said to your listeners, whenever... You are being handled by somebody who you feel has broken you. You have to consider who dropped them before they grabbed you. Because my father had to have been broken in some area of life to allow me to be in the world uh, and him not to assist. And I had to give him the benefit of that doubt that he had been dropped and that he had been broken and that he too had some sort of weakness or insecurity that didn't allow him to be there for me. And the forgiveness that I gave him, I say this all the time. I have no doubt that the kid from Gary, Indiana, has become the pastor of Houston, Texas, because I never held my father hostage for what he did not do. I believe in forgiveness at all costs. Is it always easy? No, but it is always rewarding. Yeah, forgiveness isn't easy, but it's necessary. You know? Yes, sir. And um, I just want to get a little bit more into your book. I have a couple of quotes that kind of stood out to me as I was reading over um, last night. And uh, one that it's really a passage, and I'm going to read it, and you can kind of help, uh, you know, 
extract yeah. and kind of break it down for me. And you said, um, and I really resonated with this. It says, far, far too frequently, we accept our perception of events as reality and keep labels in place that are no longer accurate. It's like keeping food in your pantry that expired long ago. The food is no longer good, no matter how bright the label remains. When you cling to labels from your past that are out of date, you're holding on to something that is no longer viable. You're not who you used to be. And if you keep clinging to that former role, then you may miss out on the freedom to be your authentic self, the person, your creator, God made you to be. That was so good. I remember, I remember the story that prompted that, uh, that excerpt in the scripture, uh, excuse me, in the book, my, uh, my mother, uh, my father used to tell this story. Uh, now here's what you don't know. My father was the pastor of the church that I was attending. Mm-hmm. So he's the, he's the pastor of the church. I'm having to deal with, I love this man as a pastor and I cannot stand him as a father. Yeah. I wish he was my dad. Oh, he is my dad. I wish he wasn't. You know, I went through all of those emotions, but he told this story one day. He said that one day he went, uh, he heard the story about a young man who went to his mom. Every time Thanksgiving would come, she would cut the ends off of the ham and put them inside of a pot put the pot in the oven and cook it. One day the son says to the mom, why did you cut the edges off of the ham? The mom says, I don't know, because my mother did it. Mm. Go ask her. So then he goes to the grandmother and says, grandma, every time mom cooks a ham, she cuts her edges off. She told me that you do the same thing. Why do you cut the edges off the ham? She says, I don't know, my mom did it. So he went to great grandmama and said, great grandmama, my mom said that her mom said that you said <laughs> that every time you could, you know, and, and she, he basically says, why did you cut the edges off the ham? And she says, baby, because my pot wasn't big enough to put the whole ham inside. So we learn a lot out of our history that helps us to create a better destiny. And so you can't always learn from people who get it right. You have to sometimes learn from people who got it wrong. Make cuts when we don't have to. Our pots are bigger. We've got the internet, we've got Google, we've got social media, we've got all of these things. And we don't have to live our lives out of the same pan that our predecessors did. And so what do I do? I have a daughter, she's seven years old. I haven't missed anything. Yeah. I, I, I haven't missed anything. I didn't miss the scrapes on her knees when she fell off the bike for the first time. I, I didn't miss the first walk, the first steps, the tears, the first swimming lesson, the first ballet lesson. I, I've been there for it all because we learn a lot out of our history that helps us to create a better destiny. And so you can't always learn from people who get it right. You have to sometimes learn from people who got it wrong. Yeah. And I don't think if you would have experienced this childhood experience, this upbringing, that you would be the father that you are today. And obviously I don't know your relationship dynamic with your daughter, but based on the experience that you went through and based on the experience that I went through early on in my childhood, not now, I definitely know I'm going to be a much better father than my father. And that's all you ever wanted. And, um, you know, despite the lack of, you know, doing for you, I, I know deep down inside, a father is still a father, whether he does right or he does wrong, he still wants his son or his seed, his daughter, his son to be better than what he was. Absolutely. And um, another thing that I, I read in the book, and this was in uh, chapter 10 and it's uh, the chapter disclosures and declarations. And you write, don't postpone passing into your purpose and passion because of what you're afraid to say or too frightened to hear. 
Don't delay your destiny because of the delinquent discussion. The time is at hand to disclose your detours and to declare your destiny with renewed determination. When you wrote that, I kind of feel like that tied into kind of what our last conversation was kind of um, talking about a little bit because you're basically saying, and I don't want to misquote you and you can, you can change, you can correct me um, at any point. It's like when you're, um, for instance, like the conversation that you needed to have with your father, you, you can't postpone that stuff because it just builds up on top of other things. And I also read in your book that, you know, you were married early on in life, you know, to a woman that was 10 years older than you. And in a sense, I don't want to say you were searching for love in all the wrong places, but that woman can never love you the way that she needed to love you because you were missing a key ingredient, your father in your life. And so um, because you never dealt with that healing um, with your father, um, you postponed it. It put you where you were, where you now you divorced her and, you, you know, obviously grew past that. Um, but can you talk a little bit about you know, what I just you know, read? Yeah. And so when I talk about the declarations, here it is. I learned this. Uh, I had questions for my father. I mean, and he wasn't given answers voluntarily. Anybody who knows and my father just died a couple years ago at the age of 77. So anybody knows anybody born in the 30s and, 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 and in that era, they don't talk much. Right. You know, good and well, the granddads, they just the fathers. It's like what goes on in this house stays in this house. Don't ask me no question. Don't question me. So my father never gave me any explanation. So this is what I did. I wrote down a list of questions and I asked him to pick me up one day. I never will forget it. He was driving a Jeep Cherokee and I was living at 204 West 15th Avenue. And I asked him to come pick me up. I had questions and he said, sure. It was on a Wednesday prior to Bible study. He shows up to the house. I walk out of the front door. I get in the car with him. I say, I know my time is valuable, sir. I'll get right to it. I've got a list of questions. I asked him the first question. Before we got off of the street that we lived on, my father made a U-turn, dropped me back off at my house and told me, you're asking too many questions and you're asking me, you said, you're asking grown people about grown people business. Mm. Dropped me off and drove off. Wow. But I, at least I got out of the car and I was broken, but I got out of the car thinking to myself, at least I confronted it. At least... I didn't just let it pass by. At least I, I tried to get answers. And that's all that you can ask out of life. Um, but I did go searching because he didn't give me answers. So now I'm out here seeking my own answers. And um, the story that you talked about, about getting the divorce, um, you know, people have said to me since, you know, God hates divorce. Well, yeah, but he hates sin. And yeah, so it's yeah. not that God has this uh, affinity for divorce and um, you know, everything else. He just wants you to do what he says. And so that was a, a, a blip on that radar of my life. And um, I don't regret the divorce because of the experience that I garnered. I regret it for the pain that it may have caused the people who were depending on our union and perhaps what it did to her. Mm -hmm. But I learned so much inside of it that uh, that has carried me throughout my life. Case in point, I remember my mom had gotten a divorce. My father had gotten a divorce. You see, what I learned from it, and Jim, this is the truth, God's honest truth. I had to realize I knew how to leave. I just didn't know how to stay. My God. I was so used to everything leaving. 
My father wasn't there. My mom was working third shift. She was leaving. Um, you know, everything in my life was so transient. All I knew was how to leave. Um, I remember being in college and my coach wasn't playing me my freshman year. Guess what my initial reaction was? I'll just leave and go to another school and transfer. I had to learn to stay uh, as a man. And it has, it has, it has transformed my life. Will I say that that lesson came easy? No. I remember the first church building that I ever purchased. It was five years before I put pictures on the wall because I just didn't feel like I would be there long. I was, I didn't know. All I knew is that things left. So, um, you know, life is a classroom and uh, every person you meet is a teacher. My ministry is a ministry of transparency. I've learned that being a preacher and hiding behind the issues was doing the world and me more harm than good. I took a leap of faith and wrote this book and just put it all in there at the expense of being ostracized or judged, you know, a divorced pastor or, uh, or you said what, or you did what? Yeah, I did it. I said it. Uh, God has forgiven me and I'm moving on. And there are millions of people who will, who will move along with me. And I'm talking to those people and not those who don't see the grace of God in our life. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, what I love about you being so transparent is like, we're imperfect people, right? But we serve a sovereign God. And um, people resonate with real, you know, people resonate with mm -hmm. people who've actually been through some stuff like how, I, you know, sometimes I struggle listening to some pastors who ain't never been through nothing. You know what I mean? It's tough, it's tough because you're, you're trying to walk me through a season you've never experienced, you know? And so now when I look for a pastor, you know, and, and right now I'm in a season of transitioning from one, you know, to another. And, um, you know, what I look for in a pastor is someone who's been through some stuff. If you can't walk yes, me through some different seasons in your life, and I understand there's young leaders and you, you know, um, you were a young leader at some point, so you can't discredit them completely. But if you're a young leader and you're, and you're trying to walk people through marriage, you know, and you've never experienced marriage for yourself, that's kind of a little bit difficult. But I love that you were transparent. I love that you share so much in this book because I know it's going to provide healing for so uh, many people. And, you know, part of the title of your book, uh, you mentioned transition in the title of your book as well. And so for you, you said you, you knew how to leave, but you didn't know how to stay. Um, and I know in this generation that I live in, in this podcast, I talk to a lot of people with different backgrounds. Lately, I've been talking to a lot of pastors and I think that's a God thing because I never really wanted to just talk to solely pastors, but I'm okay with it. Whatever God leads me, I go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, with transitions, you know, we live in a society now where people are here one minute, here and next and never stay rooted in one particular place. Um, how would you encourage people to kind of just stay planted where they are? Obviously, I, I know in reading the book, you know, you, you had two opportunities to take over a church that didn't work out and, and, and they fell through. And then you obviously birthed the church that you now oversee. So talk a little bit about staying planted and the importance and what you can learn from it. Yeah, I remember um, my coach, Joe Pachota, when I was in college, he said, there was an art to making it big where you are. He said, you know, I grew up in the days of the NBA where, you know, a guy stuck with one team and he stayed there and he won there and he lost there like Carl Malone or Charles Barkley or uh, Michael Jordan. Those guys just stayed with one team. Now we are in a, a season where, you know, and I'm, I'm no slight to it. It is, it is what it is. LeBron has been to 
Miami and Cleveland and then back to Cleveland and then to LA, uh, times have changed and the NBA has become a business and things, you know, when you look at stuff like the Scottie Pippen signing an $18 million contract for seven years, uh, it was highway robbery. I watched the last dance, uh, which is, you know, this documentary of, of uh, the bulls. Somebody said something on episode 10 that answers your question about the staying in place. He said Michael Jordan's superpower wasn't that he could jump higher than everybody else. Think about this. At the end of his career, Kobe is in the league. Kobe is, he's jumping way higher than Michael at the beginning than Michael was at the end. Wasn't that he was the best shooter because Steve Kerr could shoot better than Michael Jordan. He said his superpower was that Michael Jordan knew how to stay in the now. Mm. When I heard it, Jim, it blew my mind because most people don't have enough presence to dissolve their past. You see, if you keep living in the past, then you'll be frustrated because the past has nothing new to say. You know everything it's going to say. You don't know what the future is going to say, so you live in anxiety. You have to live in the power of now. And so not taking those churches, making it big where I was. Um, you know, I look at if I had taken those opportunities, those opportunities would have taken me out because none of the opportunities that would have been afforded me are still available. Think about that. Yeah. The, the, the church, the church that was offered to me, the pastor since has passed away. The, the other church that was offered to me, the pastor has since moved from one city to a next. So I wouldn't have had any protection in those moments, but I stayed where I was. I stayed where I was until God told me to move otherwise. And I say to people who are listening, there is more power in now than later. The Bible says now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There is so much in the now. And that's why now is called the present because it's a gift. See, most people don't understand that when they are in the now, they actually have a gift in their hand called the present. And you, you handle that gift and you are a steward over that gift and you thank the giver of God. Uh, for that gift, because everybody doesn't have a now, you know, everybody doesn't have a now. And so uh, the power of staying put, uh, making it big where you are, putting the sweat, sweat equity in, not always looking for somebody to give you something, you'll always appreciate something you built more than you would something someone gave you. I think now is the best time of any day. Now is the time to be present. I love it, man. And it was a, a pleasure really having you on the Scene of Course podcast. Before you go, I always have uh, people, uh, guests who come on the show for the first time, answer rapid fire questions. So I have five okay. questions for you. Some, I don't even know how you're going to respond to some of these, but you know, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Let's see. Number Let's one see. is one word to describe your life. Whew. That's a good one. One word to describe my life. Surprising. <laughs> surprising. That's a good one. I think all of our lives are surprising. Number two, what do you want to be remembered for? Loyalty. Loyalty. Number three, Rockets or Pacers fan? Neither. Neither. Man, you're in Houston. They're going to put you out of the church. He's like, no, I started Just it. Don't... <laughs> Edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, uh, you're a fashionable guy. So uh, when I see your page, I was like, okay, well, he can dress up with a suit and tie or he can wear the, the polo shirt and the button down with, you know, some nice kicks. So what do you prefer to preach in? What makes you feel most comfortable preaching in? Dressing down all, all the time, every time. Love it. And number five, go-to restaurant in Houston. Steak 48. Steak 48. 
Love it. Love it, man. So how can people uh, stay connected with you? Um, plug your social media, where people can purchase the shift, the book available everywhere. Uh, books are sold, right? Yeah. So what we did is we consolidated all of those mediums and put it on KeonHendersonBook.com. If you go to Keon, K-E-I-O-N, Henderson with an H, KeonHendersonBook.com, uh, you'll find Amazon there, Books A Million, Audible, everything is in that one place. Well, Pastor Keon Henderson, it was a pleasure having you on this episode of the Stain the Course podcast. Hey, if you're joining the show for the very first time, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, just know that uh, we're going to continue to put out content like this to have encouraging speakers like Pastor Keon to share their stories. And it's all in hopes of inspiring, uplifting, and motivating you to fulfill your God-given purpose so that you can make a difference on this earth. So once again, thanks for watching. And until next time, stay the course.